RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log Live is brought to you by the Eagle Moss Shop, home of the official Star Trek collectibles, including rare and highly prized Starship models from all the Star Trek TV series and related productions. Use the promo code MissionLog for 10% off your order at shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash MissionLog. Seems like only a week ago that we were wrapping up Disco Season 2, but honestly, my memory is terrible. So let's do it again! It's Tuesday night, it's Mission Log Live, and I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Yes, Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, that is when we get together to talk about Trek and Trek-related topics. Uh, This week, Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery is still over, actually, but uh, I think we said last week that we were going to continue the conversation, wrapping up Season 2, and continuing it, we will, uh, this time with a very special guest. We welcome... uh, a very big track fan, a science fiction novelist, and uh, and I'm 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 honored to say a friend of ours, uh, Robert J. Sawyer, is going to be here to talk Trek and to help us field your questions and comments. Because oh yeah, yeah sure, we've got a guest, but we always want to welcome you into the conversation as well. It's not you know otherwise why are we taking calls? It's so you can call in and be part of the show. So here's how you do it: uh, join our Zoom meeting. You can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can use the link on our Facebook page. Or, of course, you can pick up the phone the way we all used to when phones were phones and call 669-900-6833. 669-900-6833. You do that. You'll talk to Earl. And if he thinks you're good enough, you'll be right here with us. (laughs) <laughs> Nicely said. Hey, there's so many people already joining us in the chat. And by the way, Ken, uh, with that opening cold open, Steve from Eagle Moss right there in the chat saying, good read, Ken. So that's, <laughs> you know, so we're, we're good. That. We're yeah. good. There's more to come. There's more where that came from. We got Ricardo saying hi. We got Rick. We got Matt, uh, Tomas, Donna, uh, Casey, of course, Casey. And he's calling out for Cooley already. Uh, you got Chris Riker saying, hey, it's, it's Tuesday night. Stealing my line, Chris. We got Mike. We got uh, Tracy Lee Coco. Of course, Lieutenant Jay right there with us. And uh, Dave Takeshi. Sorry, Dave. Uh, Barbara, so many of our friends joining us. And I hope that, uh, well, at least some of you call in because we'd love to hear your voice on the show. So we would like to thank you all for checking us out here live on Facebook. Or if you catch the video later at YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. That's cool, too. By the way, finally got the kinks worked out there. It's weird. It's a whole mess on the back end of YouTube, but we're getting there. Um, and certainly if you check out the only, uh, the audio only podcast, we welcome you there as well. Wherever you find us, please hit like, please hit share and let the world know that we'd like everyone to join us here on Tuesdays to talk Trek. Hey, by the way, uh, Ken, it, tonight is our second wrap-up of Discovery Season 2. And uh, Earl, because Earl always likes to, to drop in a little bon mot, a little something for us to ponder before we go into the discussion, he says, uh, next week on the show, dramatic readings of all the Dr. Boyce fanfic. I don't think he's wrong. I like that. I, I kind of like that idea. I don't know. It depends. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah Doctor Boyce. I, I, I kind of want to pour out my coffee for Doctor Boyce. Yeah. Except of course I want my coffee, so nice. I'm not going to do that. But uh, gone, but not forgotten. We're actually never got here. 
and uh, yes. and and not remembered. Yes. Know. Yeah. Uh, we got some stuff coming up. What do you? How do you want to go here? Let Let's do the coming up stuff. Then let's okay. get to the news. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's coming up then? Oh, well, coming well. coming up, uh, we got a couple of events in Samsara to talk about. Uh, yeah. The first one is going to be June 13th. We'll have Larry Nemechek. Now, Larry is going to be focusing on stellar cartography. That's the book that he helped put together uh, with CBS a few years ago. He's going to talk about the ins and outs of the real science that influences Star Trek's look at the stars. Uh, but he will also be sharing a lot of behind-the-scenes info, some of what led up to his uh, his part of the Trek world. So don't miss that. That'll be June 13th. And then the date's still TBA, but Ken, I, I checked it out. I went into the dome today to see White Room in 360 degrees. Well, technically really? at 180. Yeah, you know. but but you actually got to check it out. I got to check it out. It's how, neat. It's how weird. does it work? Okay, cool. It's weird, but it's neat. Yeah, yeah so uh, quite a while ago, before, I mean, so uh, people may not remember, but virtual reality was like all the rage in the early to mid-90s. As they say on the TV show community, it ruined a lot of cinema in the early <laughs> to mid-90s. And then it kind of went away, and people who were excited about virtual reality, you know, nerds, um, and just sort of like lamented this thing that never quite came to be. And then all of a sudden, a few years ago, VR is back. So in that sort of like place in between VR and VR, uh, Roddenberry Entertainment actually made this, uh, what, 360, 180, I guess, 180 film, as John just indicated. And so then we thought, hey, we should show that in virtual reality. And that'll be easy because, you know, virtual reality, you just look around and there's everything. In white room, you just look around and there's everything. And marrying the two has been difficult, but John says it's uh, it's going. So yeah, yeah stay tuned. We're really yeah. excited to bring that to you. So excited that we wanted to take months to make sure we could actually bring it to you. <laughs> so excited that we were just completely preemptive and even announcing it or anything. But yeah, <laughs> but it is coming. It is coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's another thing that's coming up, and uh, I just want to let people know because I get emails every day and messages on Twitter and Facebook every day saying, when is Mission Log coming back? Please sit tight. Going to have an announcement for you soon. All right? Yeah. We're working on that. I don't want you to think that we've forgotten because uh, we have not. And we know that you've not forgotten either. So uh, that's all I can say for now. But uh, we're, we're, we're here for you. <laughs> all right. Um, let, let's talk about a little news. There, there's something that happened uh, within the last week, and I... You and I like to keep Mission Log Live kind of light and fun and lively and entertaining. Uh, but this is a piece of news that I felt like we we couldn't not talk about. Uh, somebody who watched the show uh, without fail every week and listened to Mission Log, I think, from the beginning, nearly seven years ago, uh, Will Wright. He, uh, I saw online that he passed away. And uh, apparently it was it was sudden. Um, he I know that he leaves behind a son uh, who had published uh, something on Will's Facebook page. Will knew a lot of people in the Star Trek community, at least online. Uh, he called into our show on more than one occasion. And Ken, I don't have to tell you that he was always glad to take us to task. <laughs> um, he would send uh emails and messages to us taking up any contrary position heartfelt truly heartfelt 
because he wanted to keep us in check and and uh, keep us in line. And that was truly in the spirit of what we try to do on our show, which is to have uh, a respectful conversation, uh, but but definitely uh, diving into all the uh, uh, all the aspects of the topics that we tackle. And um, I, I'm I'm going to miss that from Will. Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, you had a podcast before Mission Log. Um, I've had another one for like 13 years and change now. Um, most of the time, that's one way. And one of the reasons that we wanted to do this show is because we wanted to have the conversation with people. Um, the thing is... For a lot of people, a podcast is a conversation, even if even if the podcaster doesn't know you're having it. And with Will, it's sort of an interesting thing that we, I guess, because of this show, but also he wasn't an avid emailer as well. He uh, he made sure that the conversation was a conversation, not just something that happened. And it's weird because we didn't know him, but we did, and he's not yeah. here, and that's weird. But um, it it felt weird to not. And to not say something, because a lot of you guys in the chat room know him as well from being here. So, yeah, um, you know, raise a glass or whatever, or pour out whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah, I, I still have a lot of emails from him and a lot of uh, uh, threads on Facebook Messenger where he would uh, he would definitely take up those contrary positions, but then always sign it your friend on the right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we will miss you, Will. And um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a sad thing to learn. And um, uh, what can I say? You know, his his fandom crossed into so many things. He was so avid about Mission Log and about Star Trek in general and Star Trek fan films and, and just everything that uh, he, he wanted to constantly stay in touch about those things. And uh, that's uh, it, it's going to be tough to not see <laughs> Oh, Robert Sawyer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just sneezing. Just sneezing. <laughs> well, egg tight, egg tight. We got one, one little piece of news left, and we'll get right to you, sir. Um, that other piece of news, uh, Scott Palm. You, you've heard me mention here on the show before, Scott, a friend of our show, a friend of Chase Masterson, and he has been working tirelessly with Chase's Pop Culture Hero Coalition. I heard from Chase the other day. She is flying up to Seattle. I, I don't know if she's there now, but she will be very soon, I think. And she is taking Scott to see the DS9 documentary, What We Leave Behind. Now, I expect to see pictures. I expect to talk about it when they are back. I'm so excited for both of them. That's, uh, that is just too cool. And I know that they will have a blast. Meanwhile, because you've heard me talk about Scott before, Go to our Twitter page, go to our Facebook page, look at the post that's pinned at the top, and that is the link for you to donate to our fundraiser for the Pop Culture Hero Coalition, specifically to support Scott's work to stop bullying and empower kids who have severe physical disabilities. Remember, every dollar that you give is matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. You give a buck, that turns magically into two bucks. You give 10 bucks, magically that turns into 20 bucks. Thank you to the generosity of the Roddenberry Foundation. So remember that is for Scott Palm and uh, I can't wait to see what fun they have going to that premiere uh, next Monday night. And uh, well, and actually, Ken, you and I are going to, yes. see, to see the DS9 doc. Yes, we are. We're going with somebody. 
At the what? Uh, yeah, we're going to be the we're going to be at Mans, right? We'll be at the Chinese. Yeah. yeah. So those of you who are who are in the area want to come by, come see the movie, and uh, you know, then Ken will buy a round of drinks later. That's, That's so funny. awesome. And that's great. We'll duck down to Scum and Villainy. It's only about a mile and a half to three miles away. But uh, <laughs> make the track. I've walked it. Yeah. I've walked it. So have I once or twice. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're yeah. going to go see that, which is, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. And then who's doing the Q&A after one, afterwards? It's uh, uh, Q&A? Isn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, There's okay. After at, at, uh, at the theater. Uh, I want to say it's Ciroc and uh, Aaron Eisenberg. And I can't remember. I feel like there's one other person. Or I may cool. be confusing that with some other event. It's quite possible, right. John, but I believe nice. a, I believe there's a thing after that too. So yeah, Good. stop by, and John will buy you a big thick steak to go with the drink I'm having. Yeah. Hey, uh, one last little bit is bit of business to take care of before we bring in Rob. Can uh, catch us up on last week's poll question, would you please? Oh, I could do that if I were on the thing. Last week's poll question: uh, Season two of Discovery, thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, it was kind of a given, wasn't it? Uh, that was. If, easy. You're still, if you're still watching Discovery, chances are you know you were liking Discovery. Uh, thumbs up, eighty-seven percent. Thumbs down, thirteen percent. Not everybody, of course, because we didn't have. Um, was it Ian that called in at the very end last week? It was like, why did I sit through all those episodes? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, thumbs up 87%, a thumbs down 13%. And of course, we do have a new poll question this week. Yeah, uh, so this week we are asking you your hopes for season three of Discovery. Do you hope it's episodic or do you hope it's serialized? Now, right now, the poll says 62% of you would prefer episodic, 38% of you would prefer serialized. Um, I kind of, it, it's hard for me to make a blanket statement, uh, Ken, if I would like it to be specifically one way or the other. I, I feel like storytelling can be great, and particularly Star Trek has done a good job when you have episodic, but then you weave in story and character elements that then take you across much bigger arcs. I, I think they've been very successful with that in the past. I don't know if it's specifically the storytelling style, um, but I, I hope that we can get a, a little bit of the best of both worlds there. In well, fact, they should use the title for yeah, a show. Best yeah. of both worlds. I like what you did. Um, yeah. yeah, something something in between wouldn't be bad. When we had, and I know we've talked about this before, but when we had, um, was it New Eden? Uh, last yeah. year, um, or the, excuse me, in the beginning of season two of, uh, of Discovery, it was obvious that there were going to be themes going through, but I thought, hey, we could do something like this and we could do, you know, all those different things. And really, I think there was only maybe two episodes that were like that. Once again, going back to Saru's planet, uh, you know, when they freed his people from the Ba'ul and, um, which is, you know, that was one of the big episodic episodes last year as well, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was the one with the, with the radio tower, the alien radio. Oh, tower. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, right. Yeah. It was a radio tower, yeah. So it would not be, I, personally, I'd like to see the uh, episodic, but, you know, hey, we want to know what you want to see. So episodic or serialized, uh, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod and vote to your heart. Well, actually, you can only vote one time, but vote to your heart's content. <laughs> As long as one time will content your heart. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Or, or if you have just multiple accounts, you could just fake or, it. Or if you're Klingon, because then it'd be two hearts, you know, like that. Right, right, right. Hey, uh, we brought a guest on, and we should actually go ahead and bring our guest on, because we've had him sitting here listening to us talk for quite a while. Robert J. Sawyer 
is um, is a renowned science fiction author and a huge Star Trek fan. And I actually want to start, if we can. Well, first of all, I want to start by thanking him very much for for joining us. Um, episodic or serialized, Rob? Episodic. Ultimately, Star Trek, I think, functions best as episodic television. You mentioned New Eden, the second episode of the second season. That fired on all cylinders. It worked perfectly. It was an exploration of a theme. Uh, It clearly resonated with the rise of the religious right and fundamentalism in the United States, willful ignorance uh, and the desire to bring uh, scientific knowledge to a world that had perhaps turned its back on it. I thought that was the highlight of the season, setting aside any nostalgia value, seeing Telosians or seeing the old Enterprise might have had in terms of being Star Trek as Gene Roddenberry envisioned it. I think that was the best episode of the season. And I don't mind a season long arc. I don't mind interconnectivity. I certainly don't mind character growth. But for me, episodic is what uh, drives Star Trek best. You know, I, I know that we haven't gotten to it yet in uh, Mission Log. And Ken, I know that you are not as familiar with Enterprise. But I, I know that I've mentioned before on this show how season three of Enterprise, they they had a season-long arc, but then they they had little standalone episodes here and there. And then maybe at the end of that episode, you just get a piece that tied into the overall arc. And I thought that was very successful. Then in season four, uh, they kind of did the opposite where they had episodic stories, but maybe they'd take three episodes to tell them. So you had these, I, I want to say, I know you had at least one three-parter, a couple of two-parters where they would really break it up. And I, and I think that's fine. Now, I've said before, whatever it takes to tell the story that you need to tell, uh, I guess what is tiresome for me is feeling like, okay, well, we're getting toward the end of the episode. Now we have to have the carrot dangling for the next episode. We have to introduce the plot twist just so we get you to hang on until the next episode. Well, I'm, I'm going to hang on if the show's good. <laughs> you know, I want to see what's happening just as long as the episodes deliver. You don't have to tease me with the, the, the next upcoming plot twist. I'm curious, uh, Rob, uh, season one or season two for you? You know, season two, I loved season one. I have to say I loved it. This is the first of the sequel series or prequel series to the original series that grabbed me from episode one. Certainly TNG, you know, was, I find, painful in the first season and only somewhat less in the second. This from episode one, this really hooked me. But that said, this second season, when they brought in Kirk's or Pike's Enterprise and Anson Mount just stole the show as much as I admired the portrayal of Lorca in season one, Anson Mount was just unbelievably good. Ethan Peck was unbelievably good. And uh, even though I think the, the overall season two is more is the sum of its parts is more than the sum of its parts. The individual episodes, uh, I think some hit and some missed, but overall the way that crew aboard discovery came together under Pike and the way the Spock Burnham relationship developed over those 14 hours, I think was just absolutely spectacular. So I'm a season two man. Hmm. Ironically, I think I'm a season two man in original series too. Probably the best season they had. Oh, oh really? Huh? 
All right. So wait, wait, what are the standouts for you in TOS season two? Because I, I feel like season one is one of those shows that just started strong. Well, you know, that's true too, but season one, everybody forgets the dogs in season one, like alternative oh, no. factor, right? No, I will never forget alternative factor. <laughs> season two has got, you know, journey to Babel. Season two has got Amarch time. Season two has the changeling with nomad to name a, a couple off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Hey, uh, we've got Keith standing by. Keith, uh, what was in last week at the tail end of the show, we didn't get to him. So I would love to talk to him now. Keith, uh, you are on with Mission Log Live and the great pleasure of being on with Robert J. Sawyer. What's up, Keith? Hello, gentlemen. It's good to talk to you again, Robert. Good to see you. Uh, I just have one thing I'm going to say. I was just, I had one short thing I was going to say at the end of last episode, and unfortunately, you couldn't squeeze me in. Uh, there was a comment that I saw. So, someone figured out about Discovery uh, partway through the season, and then when I saw it, it totally clicked with me. They had talked about this season being more about faith, but it didn't seem as clear until I realized that they were borrowing so much from Christian mythology for the, uh, for the season. The archangels Gabriel and Michael, mm. with Gabriel being the angel who gave the vision, while Michael be the angel who led uh, the angels in battle. And then here we have in Discovery Season 2, Gabriel Burnham giving the vision to Spock to set the whole thing going. And then Michael gathering together the troops by sending out the signals for the final battle. Wow, that's 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 interesting. It's an incredible amount of depth. I would argue that it's not necessarily an examination of faith as much as it is sort of, you know, I mean, that's it's a great series of references. It's great. um, It's a great group of references, I think. But if you didn't pick up on that, as I didn't, I'll fully confess um, that doesn't it it doesn't really make me question faith at all. It's just I, I missed a subtext that wasn't there. Yeah. I think the subtext is there. You go right back to Pike's first name. He is Christopher Pike there. And he was the one when in, in uh, New Eden, he says to Burnham and uh, uh, Ashweo, have you ever been into a church? No, I never have. Religion is not a normal part. Well, I was raised, says Pike, in a kind of more old-fashioned community. My name, it doesn't say it, but I'm named for Christ. We see him being engulfed in flames. We know he's going to have a kind of resurrection. Pike is a, a you know, his, a Christ-like character to a considerable degree. And certainly the references to having a character named Gabriel, a character named Michael, and having uh, an angel suit and the identity of who it was unsure. Absolutely. I'd assume that Michael or Lorca had to be, one or the other had to be the red angel because they had the angel's name. So absolutely, I'm with Keith here. Well, see, I, I wish, though, that they had had that conversation throughout the series, because I, I think in New Eden, you know, they they laid the groundwork there for sure. They introduced the idea that Pike uh, had been raised with these traditional beliefs and it, it, he even embodied it in his father. He said that his father you know, taught science and Sunday school. So here he is straddling both worlds. And uh, I think it's a good, valuable conversation to have about the compatibility or incompatibility of science and religion. So New Eden got me really excited that the season would really go there and examine if those things are compatible or incompatible. I feel like in the very end, when we got Michael 
lifting off for the uh, the, the final flights with the uh, the, the time suit. Uh, she, you know, she says to Spock, like, oh, okay, it's a leap of faith. And he goes, yeah, based on the science that I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and that was kind of the, the bookend of the conversation, which really wasn't a conversation. So I, I wanted more out of it. I, I thought they laid the groundwork so beautifully for it. Uh, but I really wish that they had gone there in, in a way that, you know, uh, who watches the watchers or who mourns or, or any of these other episodes really let the characters grapple and fight over it. You know, I think the thing we saw here is an episode, a season that was in considerable disarray. We have to acknowledge the fact that there was a change of showrunners partway through the season. Uh, Alex uh, Kurtzman had to come back in and and run the show after uh, his two uh, uh, showrunners were dismissed early in the season. So, And I also, it's absolutely clear to me that they had no idea what the seven signals were or how they tied together uh, when they started it. They just figured, we'll write our way out of it by the end of the season. So that's why I say it's a season that's uh, better than the sum of its parts. On an individual basis, it falls apart in a lot of ways. And you're absolutely right, John, that they started a really interesting exploration of faith in the 23rd century, about which we've heard very, very little. My friend James Kerwin, who, of course, is a friend of the podcast, and I argue quite frequently about whether there are any overt references to A, Christianity, or B, religion in in general, in TOS. He says there are. I say they are not, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a dialogue that I would have liked to have seen taken to a much deeper level. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Hey, Keith, uh, any other thoughts or comments tonight? Uh, that's all I got for tonight. I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time, but thank you very much. Uh, thank you for bringing something uh, really insightful for us to chew on. Appreciate it, man. No, no problem. All right. 669 is the phone number to call. 669 You can also use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can go to our Facebook page and uh, click on the link there, and uh, it'll walk you through talking to Earl. And hey, if all you want to do is talk to Earl, that's fine. I mean, he's a little busy right now. But, you know, if that's all you want to do, that's great. Or he can put you on with us, uh, which is exactly what he has done with Brian this evening. How's it going, Brian? Hey. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Alamarine. Alamarine! You come on and you keep taking it back to Shap 1 each time. Come on, man. Uh. Yeah, um, let's see. Well, regards with uh, season two of Discovery, I think last time when I saw it, I was talking about the pitfalls of prequels and one of them being, you know, kind of rehashing the backstory to the nth degree, like with Pike, you know, we have, oh, he's the captain of the Enterprise, he was Talos for, he ended up in a wheelchair. And sure enough, we had all that kind of recapitulated during his, his tenure. But the other thing about prequels that always bugged me is the, um, you fall into this trap of the, the um, what I call the, the secret history of, aka everything you know is wrong about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so in this case, we have this starship and this spore drive and all these things, and we're trying to figure out how is this going to factor into everything. And in the end, it's all kind of like, well, we're just going to agree not to talk about it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, Okay, but it's, I don't know. I just, it's, it's something kind of really lazy about that kind of writing that I, which is the reason I 
you know, pit, again, the pitfalls of prequels, you have to try to shoehorn a story in that's um, coherent, makes sense, and fits into the universe, but doesn't step on everything that's come before. And I think a better example of it on television today that's being done well is Better Call Saul, because you've taken some secondary characters and you fleshed out their backstory, which weren't touched upon at all during the main run of Breaking Bad, and made a really good uh, series out of it. And here you're going straight for, oh, Michael's a part of Spock's family and, and so forth. And it, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, so then I'm curious, are you excited about the fact that uh, we're taking it a thousand years in the future after that? Yes, but then I would think, well, why couldn't we have done this with season one? You know, we've written some of the backstory. We get different villains and Klingons. We get different backstory from Michael and just started post Voyager, you know, in 25th century and gone from there. Well, Chris, this now is going to be like 33rd century. What was it, a thousand years of future? We were jumping ahead, supposedly. So, yeah. 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 yeah so now we're, now we're truly going where no one has gone before in, uh, in Star Trek in terms of an ongoing series. So that is, it has some potential there. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work out. I'm curious, Robert, what's, I mean, what, what's your take on that? I mean, you heard about discovery. Did you say, great, I'm glad we're going to spend more time in these, you know, in these few years, or did you wish they had gone, I don't know, beyond next gen, beyond Voyager, beyond, you know, way back. I mean, I, I hear everything Brian is saying, and I agree with him to a great extent way back when they announced enterprise, uh, I was uh, hoping it would be Pike, and number one, and Dr. Boyce, and Spock, and the early years of that starship, pre-Kirk. And it wasn't. And then uh, that's 2000, right? Now, here we are coming around 2019. We just wrapped up a season where we finally got that stuff. And I think it's wonderful. I mean, I actually think they've done a terrific job of making Pike's Enterprise look modern and sexy. Uh, Rebecca Romaine is terrific as number one. It's all coming together for me, but Brian is exactly right when they say we sh- it, it's the Klingon forehead solution. Those are Klingons. We do not discuss it. You can't just say, well, we're never going to talk about how we used to travel all across the galaxy on magic mushrooms uh, and expect everybody to keep it secret. So I do think the writing let us down there. I absolutely do that. The conclusion uh, if that turns out, now, I must say I've said this before about Discovery. I've said, ah, they've let me down here. And then three or four weeks later, oh, no, they actually have a better answer than than they first played. And it comes out that there's a deeper series of thoughts behind all this. But it does seem like that near the end of this season, there was a real desire to press the reset button on continuity. We don't have to worry about it anymore because it's become our bear. Everybody complains about where this fits into continuity. So let's just erase it from memory and go somewhere completely different with season three. How that'll play with the fans, I don't know. You're assuming, you guys, that season three will be Discovery almost a thousand years in the future. I'm hoping season three is Pike. And his <laughs> enterprise going off, uh, and we stay in the 23rd century. Well, and that was certainly, if you watch it, that's <laughs> how it ended with Pike heading off and this classic Star Trek theme. It very much looked like 
a launch of an Anson Mount series, yeah. not a uh, uh, setting up for Doug Jones captain series. Wow, right. that would be that would be such an amazing misdirect. I mean, if that, if that happened, that would be an incredible misdirect. I got to ask one question really quickly because I'm curious, uh, Brian. So you kind of don't want them to go back and explain everything that they've done, which I get. How did you feel about the Kelvin timeline? In other um, words, creating an entirely new timeline, so you don't have to worry about what came before. We've got we've got characters that we know, but they could they could fly the Enterprise into a sun and not affect anything that you've heard before because because it's a different timeline, so it doesn't matter. Uh, how is that as a as a device for you personally? Um, I I I enjoyed for the most part the JJ movies, and I guess that was. I, I, they had one foot in each world, though. In the first one, they brought back Leonard Nimoy and had sure. it explained, so it wasn't just out of the blue. But I don't know if I really see I, it. Well, it's how you define the word reboot. I mean, it's more of more of a you can look at it as a reboot because definitely visually and everything, it, it does not look the same. And um, you know, I was kind of okay with with that. I mean, Discovery took a kind of a different approach by you know, actually using footage from the original series when they were showing Menagerie and stuff. So they were definitely trying to say, this is the same Star Trek. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it just yeah, kind of makes yeah. your brain spin a little bit. And, and Robert mentioned Enterprise a minute ago, and that is an example of some of these things I was talking about. It's like, well, Picard's crew was the first to meet the Ferengi, except Archer did first. And, <laughs> and the Borg, of course, definitely a TNG thing, except well, Archer bumped into the first. <laughs> like, everything you know is wrong because there's always this, you know, well, these secret things happen that you know about. And that's what Well, I kind of get, well, <laughs> we actually probably, I'm curious about that uh, from Robert's point of view because you are a writer. If somebody said to you, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to drop you into the Star Wars universe. Uh, do me a favor, though. Uh, try to stay away from the Star Wars stuff. I mean, we're going to give you this universe, right? But maybe if you could leave out the name Skywalker. I mean, as a writer, could you go into the Star Trek universe, like set in the same time, and not call on Sarek, not call on the Borg, not right. call on the things that we all know? I mean, certainly, you know, and they with TNG, when Roddenberry was actually actively running the next generation, he said no Klingons. Uh, no uh, Vulcans, right? And he had to be fought at every step of the way to have these touchstones with the original series, which the fans adored. They adored it when McCoy had his cameo in Encounter at Farpoint. They adored it when finally uh, Dr. Sailor, the first Vulcan that we sees, that we see in the series shows up. Uh, so I, once. We saw her once. I know, but boy, did she make an impression. Susie Flaxon, she made a great impression. I, of course you could. As a writer, of course I could. Uh, But, you know, I I wrote the series finale for Star Trek Continues, the fan film series, uh, along with James Kerwin and Vic Mignogna, uh, where we bridged uh, from the end of TOS to the beginning of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And that was the era that I most was interested in writing about. But if somebody said you had to write about, you know, um, uh, Cestus III before the Gorns came there, the administration of that uh, Federation outpost, um, 
I would do it. <laughs> I'm enough of a Trekkie that I could go in and do it. But every time the suits put the shackle on, and they did it with Enterprise, they did it over and over again. They've even done it with Discovery, where because of merchandising licenses, they've said everything has to be at least 20% different so that we can sell a toy version from Eagle Moss of Pike's Enterprise, of Kirk's Enterprise, right, as two separate toys. They have to look different so we can license the model kits separately and so forth. Every time the suits make those decisions, it is to, or that you have to leave something out, it is to the detriment of the fans and their real desire to see what they know and love uh, being explored in more depth. So I, I wonder, though, I, I mean, th- this is a really interesting thing, because, it, you know, as a writer, like you said, if somebody came to you and said, here's this part of the picture that we want you to paint, and, and it's, you know, this character story, take Pike, for example, we know where Pike ends up, but we have all these years in between, there's this whole galaxy to explore, I don't think you would find yourself sort of shackled by that at all. You know, even if we know that, uh, say, it's six years before Pike has this accident. Well, even in six seasons of TV, that doesn't have to be six years of real time. Six seasons of TV could be nine months. It could be whatever you say it is in the timeline of that show that, that you have decided to write. So there's a lot to explore there. I think where I'm having trouble finding the right balance for Star Trek is that, um, Okay, you take uh, you take a show like Voyager. Now we know that TNG and DS9 both existed in the same place with an overlapping time, and so overlapping that you had one character jump ship literally from one to another, and you had uh, a couple of crossover points there. But then you have Voyager it takes place in the same time, same technology, uh, uh, same kind of hierarchy, uh, same language that we're all speaking technologically, etc. But then you move them completely off to another place where they get to have their own adventures, where every week it isn't a call back to, well, I wonder what Captain Picard thinks about what we're doing. You know, you don't have to sort of tie yourself to that. Now, with Discovery, I love the idea that you are set a little before the time of Kirk, that you you have, again, sort of the same structure and same language that we're used to hearing about what, what are Star Trek technologies like transporters and photon torpedoes and phasers and all that stuff. But um, I, I'm thinking about this article that I read that I, I can't put my fingers on right away, but an article that really made the argument that saying by tying Burnham to Spock, it really was a detriment to the Burnham character because you let all these other characters develop naturally, like Saru. And uh, it, it really gave him a background and gave him the ability to grow into his own. But by forcing a relationship to the most well-known, the most popular character of Star Trek, it, it really hurts the growth of that character. You're just saying, okay, well, she's important because she's important because Spock. And and I do wonder about that. I I, I don't necessarily have to 100 percent agree with the article, but I do wonder if by by forcing that level of connection, as opposed to just saying, look, here are the basic ground rules. Here's the basic framework of what we're doing. Now go tell your own stories instead of saying, well, you're telling your own stories. But by the way, part of that story is tied intimately 
to this other character who is the most fleshed out, the most well known that we already have. Does it uh, does it tie the hands of the writers a bit? You know, I, I don't know if something that specific would be um, would be a problem for for a writer like yourself. Well, you know, if anybody's listening out there from Discovery, I'm available. <laughs> Writers Guild of number, right? I would uh, my number one of all the shows I could possibly. And I, you know, I've had a show ABC TV did my uh, novel Flash Forward as a TV series. I was one of the writers for that show. Uh, I but I would love any aspect of writing actual Star Trek. I mean, that's that's why I wanted to do Star Trek Continues. It was the closest thing I could get to writing. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy without Shatner, Nimoy, and Kelly doing the parts. <laughs> that said, so a writer can do anything. But the beauty of Star Trek or Star Wars is it's a universe. You know, you take a book like my favorite novel happens to be To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, To Kill a Mockingbird set in the 1930s in the American South. Now, I could show you another novel set in Toronto, where I live, in the 1930s, and say, it's the same universe. Well, it is, at the same time, right? And one is a big city drama dealing with, let's say, the foundation of a, of a retail empire in Toronto, the T. Eaton Company, and the other one is an exploration of small-town racism, but it's the same universe. And nobody would say, oh, come on, you're not really connecting anything. But when you're doing Star Trek or Star Wars, these incredibly wide and varied universes, you can go and zoom in on a place light years away, centuries separated in time, and still be part of that same cohesive universe. And I think that can be made to work. There are all kinds of stories to be told in Star Trek. If I had my druthers for season three, I would do what Generations, the movie Star Trek Generations, utterly failed to do. Generations should have been a crisis that could only be solved by intertemporal cooperation between Kirk's Enterprise and Picard's Enterprise. And this should be a crisis that can only be solved between cooperation between Saru's discovery in the present day of 2300 uh, and and um, Pike's and uh, sorry, Saru's discovery off 900 years in the future and Pike's enterprise in the past, a transgenerational crisis instead of, and even my friend Brandon Braga will, who worked on flash forward will say this instead of the mess they made, the missed opportunity in generations, you get Kirk and Picard together. And what do they do? They scramble some eggs together and go ride horses. They don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that we wanted to see them do, which is save the universe together, right, across time. Right, right. right. Well, yeah. I mean, what you did get from that, though, right, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what you did get from that was the kind of handoff that a lot of people who are like, I was at a Star Trek convention in 2016, I think, in western New York or central New York, and, and, and there were people who were still walking up to me going, no, 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 the only Star Trek is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I mean, at the very least, what you did finally get on the big screen was an actual handoff of like all right look really see these two guys on screen they're both the captain of the enterprise so the next time this one rolls around go ahead and treat him with some respect because he is in fact the captain of the enterprise and you know how you know the captain of the enterprise just told you so 
<laughs> Absolutely, you could have had that, but you could have had so much more. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 it's really hard to defend Generations as a great film. Yeah. First Contact is a great film. Wrath of Khan yes. is a great film. Uh, I argue that Star Trek Motion film. Picture is a great film, but <laughs> it is. Generations is nobody's first favorite of either the next-gen films or the classic films. It just fails to do anything but that one bit of legitimizing that you mentioned just now, Ken. Hey, they had a great director of photography. Oh, I'm sure they did. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> Same guy who did Chinatown. Can't remember his name. Oh, wow. There. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for calling in. We do appreciate it. We're not going to. Uh, well, thank you, man. And, uh, and do call in again sometime, okay? Uh, will do. Thank you, gentlemen. 669 is the phone number to call. 669 Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. Or if you're on our Facebook page watching us, there's a link right there. Just, you know, click it and uh, and come on and join us because uh, we're having fun and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, we've got some business to do, Mr. Champion. We do. We have business indeed. And uh, hang on. I'm going to pick this up right here. Oh, yeah. You know what it's time for. It's time for these guys. All right. So our friends at Eagle Moss are back and fans of the official Star Trek uh, uh, Starships collection. Be it the original collection of five to six inch Starships or the larger Discovery collection or the even larger XL editions. For those of you looking to complete your collections or simply purchase single Starships for yourselves or as gifts, well, your ships have come in literally. Oh, see, I love that line. The Eagle Moss shop is open and ready uh, to do business with you. Uh, listeners of Mission Log can even enjoy an extra 10% off select models. You know, I was thinking earlier, John, uh, uh-huh. Father's Day is coming up. So oh, yeah. what you do is you buy dad a tie and then you go and get yourself something for having remembered that Father's Day is coming up and you got him something. And now Perfect. you get your favorite ship. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. By the way, yeah. we're showing great video for people who are watching the video of the ships. Yes. But I right now am holding the uh, Reliant. It's the uh, the regular size Reliant, the little one, uh, mm-hmm. which is my favorite ship. You know that. I'm a Miranda class guy. You, me, Robert, maybe three other guys, we could take a Miranda class ship someplace. And know this because, <laughs> right. because Khan made it look pretty easy. Anyway, sure. what you do is you go to shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash mission log. Take a look at the variety of ships waiting for you there. Uh, many of them are shop exclusives. Hey, you got to hang out with, uh, with one of the Eagle Moss folks today. I did. Ben Robinson, noted Star Trek expert, was here in the office today. And you know what? We uh, we talked about Star Trek stuff. Wow. What are we the did. odds? We did. I know. We, we talked about cool, rare, weird, one-of-a-kind Star Trek stuff. And speaking of cool, rare, and weird, boom. That's what they call it, segue in the industry. Uh, if you look at the shop, eaglemoss.com, slash USA, slash mission log, you will find some rarities and oddities. And I love it when they do stuff like this. You will find Rick Sternbach's early concept of the USS Voyager. You might remember that we've talked to Rick on a few occasions, uh, both on Mission Log and on the Trek files and about his early design work. That Voyager has kind of a weird, uh, like a pointed, almost like a shovel nose. It was a little too close to the design for the Enterprise E. So they had to step it back a little for what actually ended up on screen. You also have the legendary interface USS Defiant from the original series episode, The Tholian Web. And get this, it glows in the dark 
which is just too cool. Uh, you have the infamous ISS Enterprise D from the Next Generation episode, All Good Things. Um, so just look around and uh, you will surely find a ship or, or two or maybe five of them that scream out to you, buy me, I'm yours. So that's what you do. You buy it and it's yours. These, of course, are officially authorized by CBS Studios. Each and every model is die-cast, hand-painted, and comes with a display stand, plus an in-depth magazine featuring exclusive artwork and highlighting the ship's history, uh, its design, and its place in Star Trek lore. I love the magazines. They're, they're absolutely yeah. fantastic because you, you go through them and you learn stuff both in-universe and about how they were designed. So, uh, to order... Shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash mission log. You enter the promo code mission log. That is one word mission log at checkout to receive an extra 10% off your order. Again, it is mission log one word shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA slash mission log for 10% off your order and, uh, and just a gigantic, an XL size. Let's say thanks to, uh, to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Yeah. Can I come in for a second on Eagle Moss? Oh, sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got here. I've got here my favorite. I just got this. Yes. This is. Uh, let's see where my camera is. You get a briefest of glimpses of this in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, Decker says to Ilea on the wreck deck, "All these vessels were named Enterprise. All these ships were named Enterprise. It's a conceptual Matt Jeffries design." Two rings with a uh, kind of a central fuselage. Uh, nobody knows anything about it. Ken was saying we could take a Miranda class. I would love to write this. This is obviously a precursor, maybe even to Enterprise, uh, the NX-01. Serial number here is XCV-330. It's one of the extra large models. But uh, they're all nice from Eagle Moss. Eagle Moss does really good stuff. But this was, for me, kind of the holy grail to own a model of this. And I'm so pleased that Eagle Moss isn't just, you know, it's easy to do the fan favorites. Uh, it's nice when they're doing some things that the really hardcore guy uh, wants that nobody else maybe has even ever heard of or hardly anybody knows about. This one, just I knew the moment they announced this that I had to have this puppy. Yeah, I, I love that thing so much. By the way, Rob, sorry, I'm not getting paid for that. Um, Absolutely. I, I love that ship so much. And, uh, and that's something that Ben actually brought up today. So he was saying that as a kid in England, uh, he could get the Lincoln Enterprises catalog, but you couldn't order anything from Lincoln Enterprises if you lived in the UK. So all these European fans couldn't get that stuff. But that's one of the ships that they sold as uh, concept art and uh, and a few others along with it. And it's so neat. Uh, yeah, that I'm right there with you. I think it was one of the coolest ships uh, that, that they conceptualized and then the Eagle Moss later made. That thing is amazing. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, 669-900-6833, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can use the link on the Facebook page. Got about 10 minutes left in tonight's show. Uh, take off a minute or two because we'll say thanks and we'll say goodbye. So we've got about eight minutes left. Wait, no, it's seven now. I'm sorry. We're out of time. Hey, uh, let me ask you a question, Robert. Um, what is Star Trek to you? I've read some of your novels, I want to say it was either in book one or book two of Wait, Watch, and Wonder. So I guess it was Wait. Is it Wait? Forgive me. Did I get that right? Wait. It's a, it's a three, wake. Watch wake. and Wonder, the WWW trilogy. Yes. My apologies, uh, Wake. 
but yeah. it, it's, I think it's in the first book there that, uh, 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 the main character's, um, dad, uh, sort of surprises her with like a, with like, I wouldn't say an outburst, but all of a sudden, I want to say it was like three pages. If memory serves, and it's been a few years since I've read it, it was about, uh, uh the motion pictures specifically, but Star Trek is, is a thing that runs through some of your books. It's not like they're Star Trek novels, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not a character, but it's a character sort of off it there someplace. Is. So, we're in a world right now of dystopian science fiction. Almost everybody is writing negative futures. I have always been an optimistic science fiction writer. I'm finishing them off my 24th novel now. You know, my Hugo winner, Nebula Award winner. I mean, I've been at this for quite some time. But Star Trek is what got me into it. And it meant two things. Just what did it mean to me? It meant optimism. And it actually meant pacifism in a way that Star Wars never has been. Star Wars has always been about, well, it's about wars. Whenever there had been an opportunity to fight, Star Trek said, take the alternative, even if it's forced upon you, right? When uh, in the original series, the Organians stopped the war between the Klingons and the Federation. And when I first saw that episode as a kid, I was blown away that the main character, Captain Kirk, I had never seen a show where the main character was slapped down and he's just slapped down. Kirk goes, we have the right. And Elborn, the Organian says to wage war, Captain, to destroy life on a planetary scale. Is that what you're defending? Right. And he has to face that. And he grows from that by the time arena rolls around. No, I won't kill him. I won't kill the Gorn. He had his reasons. Maybe it's, Says in to a non-seven, all you have to say is I'm not going to kill today. That's all it takes, knowing that I won't kill today. And it goes right through to the end with, uh, you know, Spock's pacifism in Savage Curtain, second last episode where they're standing there and with, uh, you know, Lincoln saying I presided over the four bloodiest wars and uh, years in my nation's history and Kirk and Spock and Surak a Christ-like uh, Vulcan pacifist uh, making this case that no matter, even if you're going to die, making the attempt. And in the mirror, mirror, uh, uh, Narn, the leader of the Hulkin Council, you'll die. We'll level your planet. He says, to preserve what we are. Nobody had ever portrayed pacifism as sexy, as as noble, and as a necessary prerequisite for living together with other people prior to Star Trek or even much since Star Trek. That's what it means to me. Nicely said. Thank you for that. Um, hey, uh, Ken, can you do a little announcement about P1 and then welcome Paul T to the show, okay? Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that because we got uh, we got late with the thing. Yeah, Priority One's yeah. coming up. You should watch it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, after our show, uh, 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony get together to talk over all kinds of Star Trek information. It's, it's, it's news, it's book reviews. It just, it, it's, it's, it's like this conversation, but with different people. So go grab yourself a snack, go grab yourself, you know, a tasty beverage, and then settle back in 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern for Priority One, the Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Uh, recorded live on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash priority one podcast. I think 
actually yeah, look for them on Twitter, Priority One Podcast as well, because uh, because they're actually showing up all over the place now. They they broadcast three or four different places. So throw a rock and you'll hit the live recording of Priority One. And if you miss there, uh, of course, it comes out every Friday as well. So podcast.roddenberry.com uh, to check out the show that they're recording tonight in full show form. Hey, Paul T., you are on with Mission Log Live and our special guest, Robert J. Sawyer. What's up tonight, Paul? Hey, guys. How you doing? Excellent. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Well, I wanted to swing us back to the end of uh, Discovery a little bit and just say that, you know, even though we didn't get the religious versus um, science uh, story that we were hoping for, or some of us were hoping for, even if we didn't get the really cool AI story that we were hoping for, we still got the discussions about it because that's what we do here at Star Trek. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, come on. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I've been thinking about this all week because I was, you know, I was a little bit disappointed at the end of the uh, season. And then I watched the last episode again. And I said, you know, this is a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this. And we're getting a really wacky time travel story, which is always fun to watch, you know. And so I'm okay with that. You know, I, I really liked it. And, you know, I, I think that these discussions and, you know, the discussion we've had just in the last hour has been fabulous. And, you know, it's all been brought about by watching Discovery. So. Excellent. I mean, I think when you boil it down in broad strokes, uh, AI goes nuts, uh, faith versus science, um, uh, 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 Leland, you know, meat bag full of uh, nanobots, um, spaceships shooting each other, time travel. There was cool stuff there. There absolutely was. And and my frustration was more about the long and winding road to get there when it felt like, oh, they're starting this thread of a thing. Oh, but then we dropped the thread of that thing. Um, and, and I will say, as I, I did a couple of weeks ago, that watching the last two episodes together, I would almost like to see them cut as a feature film, just chop off the end credits of uh, part one, chop off the beginning credits of part two, let those run together. They really worked well for me. They really worked better that way for me than waiting a week in between because you really felt the momentum build in that story. Um, and I just, I, I love, still again, sort of the, the, uh, the happy cliffhanger that we have at the end. It's a positive cliffhanger that we're going into for 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 either cast. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm definitely of. looking forward to next season. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm curious as to how they're going to push to a thousand years from now and what they're going to do with that. It's going to be quite fascinating. I hope. And I hope they. I hope they have a lot of fun with it too. So agreed. <laughs> Paul, thank you very much for calling in and uh, give us a call back again sometime. Okay, we'll do. You guys have a nice night. You too. Uh, we are just about out of time. Um, Mr. Sawyer, for people who want to keep up with the latest from you, I don't know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you want to say, now's an excellent time to say it. Social media, I'm Robert J. Sawyer. My website is sfwriter.com, SF like in science fiction. My latest novel, Quantum Night, in bookstores everywhere. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It is it is always a pleasure to uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And thank you for you know sharing the conversation with more people than just the three of us this time. Oh wait, Vegas, Vegas. Oh 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 yeah, Star Trek Las Vegas. I'll be there. Excellent. Oh, fantastic. Cool. Yeah, do look forward to seeing you. Thank you again for joining us, sir. We really do appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Always good.
Hey, I, I guess that's about all there is to say, except thank you to everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, Carlos and Chris, uh, Chris is saying, wow, this hour flies by too dang fast. Other people saying that was great. This really needs to be two hours. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll look into it. So bye everybody. And until then, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, Mission Log Live, but also Women at War, Priority One, and The Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look over at patreon.com slash mission log. And thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. We will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network.